This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog. You made it back! I did, made it back. From Blighty! <laughs> Not only from Blighty, from South East London. Roger, I spent a lot of time in South East London, also some time in West London, some time in Central London. I love, I love London. Oh, what a great city. How Roger. is the home country? It's good. Do you know what I love about London? It's huge. It really is a big city. I mean, the, the footprint of London, it just keeps on going and going and going it's and like going. It's like Sam Allardyce-sized. But you can honestly walk into a bar in Central London that you know is sort of a place where media types... Hang out. Yeah. And you see Good everybody you know. Me. I would have, you got, see all I would have walked past that place full of media types. It's so nice. You. So I saw, in, in a very, very short time, I saw so many uh, mates, so many old friends, all sorts of people. New friends of ours. Had a great time. Stevie Parrish. Sourced to had lunch with Stevie Parrish yeah. at the Groucho Club. Yes. Had a great time. We went through one of my old Did school you give photos. What was your message? Tell him to sign Jordan Morris, save his season. Oh, I think Verda Bremen. I might be working on nech, it. Nech, 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 my nech, nech. Oh, it could be going to Palace. Okay, so we looked at my old school photo from Colts, this sort of four-foot-long thing you spread out. We're only 11 places away from each other in this photo. It's just so interesting. And just seeing little Steve Parrish, he was so tiny with a big mop of hair on his foot. He's still got very good hair, but little tiny You Steve know what Parrish. I think of when you tell me that story? Yeah. Automatically, my mind leaps to that classic biography of Hitler and Stalin. <laughs> what? And which one of me and Steve is Hitler and which one is Stalin? In the school photos, in yeah. that biography, uh-huh. they have both of their school photos when both are like 11. Uh-huh. And both of them, this is uncanny. Have they didn't th- go to the same school, though. Um, I think they were at school with you. <laughs> no, they both in their school photo. Yeah. I don't know if they have school photos in America, but they're a very important part of us growing up. A class, it was very grave. You didn't smile. Mm-hmm. But Hitler and Stalin both were on the back row. Yeah. I think they were back left on their own. Back left. There was a gap between them and the rest of the school students. And they were both staring at the mm-hmm. camera, even aged 11, with incredible menace, seething menace. Wow. The menace. Of a young Steve Parrish. Well, no, me and Steve in that photo, uh, there's no menace whatsoever. But I arrived and literally immediately, this was the big news story uh, in South East London. Uh, rail operator South Eastern, who operate the, the trains, you can't take the underground to South East London. You, well, you sort of can take the Dock and Light Railway, but you really have to take the overland trains, South Eastern network trains. And they tweeted on Tuesday that we had severe congestion through Lewisham home of Ruben Loftus-Cheek, through Lewisham, due to dispatching issues as a result of strong sunlight. (laughs) They cancelled the trains because there was too much sunlight for the operators to read read the screens that they're driving the trains from. I mean, sunlight, can you imagine how little sunlight that is to affect them? Uh, In the past, by the way, English trains have been cancelled for leaves on the line and the wrong type of snow, apparently. Snow that was too... Wet or dry or icy snowy. or white too or snowy. snowy. But this is a new high that they're, they're cancelling trains in London because of too much sunlight. Oh, we used to have an empire, David. Yeah. I've got to say, the notion that sun yeah. can cause delays, uh-huh. it does validate my, my notion that we're turning into a nation of moments. <laughs> there's, a, there's a cave in Kentucky called Mammoth Cave. Yeah. It's 118 metres deep. Uh-huh. And there's a breed of fish who have become what they call cave-adapted. Wow. 
which means that over centuries they've just adapted to lightless, low-energy environments, mm -hmm. and they've just stopped growing ice structures. Wow. They've stopped having unnecessary skin pigments. Was this on hillbilly cave fishing? <laughs> no. There is hillbilly hand fishing, I think, is actually a real show. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a fantastic piece of television. This is uh -huh. a real thing. There's a fish, a breed of fish called blind fish. Do they give you an erection that kills you? <sighs> you could breed them with the Brazilian walking spiders and see what would happen. Oh, I'd be a test. Spider fish. I'd volunteer to test the result <laughs> of that animal sting on myself and a heartbeat. Yeah. No, I've always wondered will the English become a nation of nocturnal moment, David? Mm -hmm. Will they? cave adapt if they're afraid of savage joke they will this story wipes the smile off my face and replaces it with a look of sheer terror i've just glimpsed england's future blind fish wow well i mean english people do spend a lot of time underground i've told you before that my uh grandfather my father's father when he was drafted into the army during world war one they looked at his last name davis assumed he was welsh which he wasn't and immediately put him into the royal engineers in order to dig the trenches in Verdun, <laughs> believing that he was a coal miner. He must be a coal miner because of his last name, Davis. And so he spent the entire they, of World they, War One underground they really building... Did some, they really did some deep due diligence in, in that era, didn't they? Building tunnels. And I was talking to my dad, we were talking about that, and then he was telling me that when he was drafted into the army, that he was very, very fortunate that he wasn't sent down the mines, that they were drafting half of the people into the armed forces, and the other half, they were just sending down the mines and could so easily be a coal miner. I mean, coal mining, being living underground, it's pretty much where the English come from. It's why we look the way we do. It's one of my favourite Arlo White quotes of all time, when he used to complain to his dad about having to commentate two matches every weekend. <laughs> and he'd be like, you know, they're sending me down to Southampton in the South on Saturday. I've got to go all the way up to Newcastle on uh, Sunday to watch Newcastle United. And his dad had just turned around to him and said, well, it's not exactly coal mining, is it? No, it's certainly not coal mining. <gasps> but more right. men or not, David, yep. there are some cities which are even more Arm Armageddon-esque than mm -hmm. London even, David. Where? I am, of course, talking about St. Louis. Oh. St. Louis, kind crunky. Can I just say, we feel your pain, citizens of St. Louis, yeah. who lost their NFL franchise again mm. last week. I mean, further proof if you needed it, citizens of St. Louis, you should never trust a bull denier like the Batupaid Stan Kroenke. Oh. GFOP Andy Cohen, Embassy Row uh, roommate uh, Andy Cohen, our studio mate, very upset, flipped him off, flipped off Stan Kroenke <laughs> live. And it's very rare that the concentric circles of Andy Cohen and, and the men in blazers come together, but a good Stan Kroenke double flip off oh, uh, is, is really worthwhile. Just a little precursor to the Ravens because they will overlap again. Yeah, but I, I know that must have hurt Stan Kroenke. He loves, yeah, he loves, he loves, what he loves the housewives. He, so loves one it. Of his, he said, <laughs> probably turned around to his wife, yeah. Took off his toupee, put it yeah. on the on the head mannequin that uh -huh. he probably has by his bed. Yeah. It's very erotic, that. Yeah. And uh, just said, you know, my, my, my only pleasure in life, it's not Arsenal. Yeah. God, it's not Arsenal. I can't wear my muzzle hoodie yeah. anymore. Yeah. He goes, <laughs> he goes, I can't watch Andy Cohen anymore. Yeah. Anyway, LA now has an NFL team. Yeah. Ari from Entourage. He must be gutted right now. Cronky's yeah. beating him to it. So Kate Holmes also from Ray Donovan. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting to me about all this, Davo? Los Angeles people, you know mm -hmm. them well. How does it work? I mean, the team have already been ripped once from their loving hands before, David. Yeah. To me, this is a bit like as if the MK Dons tried to win back the fans of Wimbledon, who they ditched to move to Milton Keynes in 2003. I know, it's difficult. I mean, obviously, a lot of American teams have moved. English teams have moved as well. I mean, Arsenal, Stan Kroenke's Arsenal, Rog, 
they were Woolwich Arsenal from yep. South, South. South East London. And then they moved up to, uh, to, to North London. Seattle, of course, lost their basketball team to Oklahoma City. I mean, lots but of But then teams. going back, though, David, that's yeah. it. It's like going know, back it's, it's, to... It's a, there, then back, and then there again. At PJ Sin tweeted us to say, look, this is the fourth time the Rams have moved. Cleveland, LA Part 1, St. Louis, LA Part 2. Mm-hmm. They return as a hand-me-down, like when they came to us originally. Um, at SCT Dog tweeted, too often fans follow... Just what's in front of them. By the way, Kroenke is probably, you mentioned Arsenal, he's probably thinking about moving Arsenal now to St. Louis, playing MLS. Mm-hmm. By the way, being serious, what a great soccer town St. Louis is. If that I was Don Garber. has a great history, has a huge if history. If I as a was Don Garber, yeah. I'd say MLS calling. But at Brando Hillen tweeted us to say, Davo, can you explain the difference between the English Premier League mm-hmm. with rich owners, yeah, yep. oligarch shakes, mm-hmm. where fans still have power? And NFL, where fans simply don't seem to matter. Well, I mean, still at their root, but this is all changing, is that English teams are clubs. And they're clubs that have existed, you know, almost all of them for more than 100 years, Rog. And they've, they've been sort of built over years and years and years. But whereas the American teams are franchises where there's this great central strength, the NFL, who is in charge of all of these teams and these 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 huge owners and so it's a little bit more remote from the fan but I think this is changing in England I mean had a very interesting talk with Steve Parrish over lunch about the relative wealth of different people who own different Premier League teams and how much money the newcomers the Arivists have versus the people who've been there previously. And it just changes what you can do. It changes what you can do expansion-wise, changes how bullish you can be about your, your business. And I think we're going to see a lot more changes in the Premier League or whatever this league morphs into, um, this Pangean one global... Whatever we go to in the future, the Interplanetary League... Oh, the, I can't the, wait for that. The, uh, the, the, the Inter-Universal League, whatever it's going to be, Rog. The commissioner of the Interplanetary League yeah. says it's his goal to make yeah. the Interplanetary League mm-hmm. one of the world's top five within the next 20 years. <laughs> we laugh when he says that, yeah. but we think it's true. By the way, I'd say the fans have mattered in the past in England mm-hmm. because of the business model of... Football, which in the 80s and 90s in England was hyper-local. Mm-hmm. It was all about putting bums on the seats in the stadium, and as long as you filled it up with local bottoms, you were doing great. But the more global the league gets, the less teams do care about local fans, the more the teams edge towards becoming brands that are unrooted to their locality. You watch the FA Cup, where Liverpool had to play Exeter, far, far southern tip of England on a Friday night, and when the game finished, there were just no trains for the fans to get back. It was fine for everyone apart from for the local fans. I mean, Bayern Munich chairman, Karl-Heinz Rummenigger, he's taught this week again about the off-discussed, off-floated notion of a European Super League. Super League, Super yeah. League, David. You know, major clubs from Italy, Germany, England, Spain, France, under what he said, the under the umbrella of UEFA or a private organisation, which I took as him... UEFA. <laughs> men in blazers. Yeah. Yeah, we should organise it. With games, he said, being played occasionally in Asia and America. If that ever happens, David, and I can see it happening in a decade or two when someone backs up enough cash to the English clubs to make it more worthwhile for them to jump to that rather than play in the Premier League, local fans will matter even less than they do right now in the NFL. You know, I don't, I'm not trying to make a connection 
here between what's going on in tennis. I mean, it's this amazing story about the gambling allegations starting to just hit more than allegations. Some of it seems to already be proven that there's been this amazing match fixing. Something like 50 of the world's top 100 players have been involved in match fixing, according to sources. Um, the, the betting patterns around matches seem to be have chances of one in a thousand. They're looking at the very Freakonomic stuff, Rog. Uh, they're looking at these patterns and looking into it. And I do think that the gamble, one thing that you've got to remember is that the size of the gambling market in sports is becoming as significant as the television market, is becoming as significant as the various sort of broadcasting revenues, the advertising revenues. And to some extent, the thing that might affect what happens in the future of football could be about what people want to gamble on rather than purely where the broadcasting revenues are I going. think the same, David. I think the same is true about the pie business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gambling on pies, the I think, predictions. I think the pie business is the tail that wagged yeah. the football dog, David. Yeah, we'll see. The one asterisk I'd put to your point about the influence of local fans, though, and this, is, this really struck me going to see two games in a very short period, uh, Chelsea against West Brom, Chelsea against Everton. I mean, mm-hmm. seeing a really poor team playing really, really badly twice. But the one thing which I just wonder that local fans still have some power of is that Premier League and football fans are so vocal. They are so loud. You feel the atmosphere. You feel the chanting. One thing that was so striking to me watching the team play live versus watching them on television is hearing how badly the crowd got on certain individual players. I actually don't remember at Chelsea, not for a long time, hearing players as unpopular as Pedro, Matic, Ivanovic every time they touch the ball. And I do think that there is a sense with Roman Abramovich there checking his cell phone, texting people, with sort of Hiddink and the other Chelsea people in the thing. I think that local fans have some influence over what teams go and do with players. We'll save that point, Davo, later in the pod for our skeezy and just moment of the week segment. Okay, Rog. Okay, we've got a packed show with Channel, the spirit of Appomattox Courthouse and lay down our arms after the back and forth. Breathless, 3-3 draw that was our civil war, Rog, L. Blazerico. Hopefully this ended our civil war. We recap Man United's 1-0 snatch and grab job against Liverpool at Anfield, and we break down a title race that's gone all Mexican standoff, but maybe with more participants in that standoff. Plus, Stanford Messi says thanks, but no thanks to the Bundesliga. Wow. And the World Cup champion US women's national team prepare to kick off. 2016 against Ireland. Okay, Rog, to the football. I'm talking about Ireland. Yeah, the Guinness. Crack it open. We're now 22-38 of the way through the Premier League season. That reduces, Rog, to 11 19ths. And in a campaign that makes absolutely no sense, even the one Premier League truth we held self-evident, Villa being crap, has started <laughs> to shatter. Well, at least a little bit. Okay, let's start right in. To the football, Cheers, Rog. The Cheers, top Rog. three. Now separated by just a single point. Yeah. And let's cheer. Let's cheer together and raise our glasses about something we can agree on. Yeah. This is the season of the goalkeeper, David. Yeah, it really is. The goalkeeper is a new mm-hmm. fantasy star. Well, at some teams more than others. But if you were to tote up the players who've earned their team's points this season, yep. I would guess De Gea, Butland, Czech, Laurie, Schmeichel would be leading the pack. Okay. Chelsea, three... Everton 3. This is where the goalkeeper thing doesn't apply whatsoever. El Blazerico, Rog. <laughs> Everton built an early 2-0 second-half lead thanks to a John Terry own goal and a Kevin Morales wonder strike. Only to Ooh. see Chelsea draw level through Diego Costa and Sesk 
Fabregas. In the 90th minute, Everton appeared to scoop the pot when substitute Ramiro Funes Mori latched onto Jerry D's cross at Thibaut Courtois' back post. But in the eighth minute of injury time, just when Rog thought it was safe to emerge never. from behind I his never, couch. He's never emerged did. from behind his couch. Where he'd watched the game in the fetal position, none other than John Terry found himself behind the Everton defence. He, he backheeled, audacious backheeled, an Oscar header past Tim Howard to share the spoils at Stamford Bridge. <sighs> exhausting, Rog. Yeah, Absolutely I've, exhausting. I've, and yet... Just a bit meaningless. I've realised El Blazerico, Davey. Yeah. It's a game, it's less about football. Mm-hmm. It's more like fratricides. <laughs> I think of Cain and Abel. I think of Michael Corleone and poor Frido. Mm-hmm. I think of Roger and Davey. Mm-hmm. And in this one, meaningless, possibly, but this was the most naive team in football, playing one of the most jaded and cynical. You were there. I'll just say before we get to you, because I do want to hear what it felt like to be back at Stamford Bridge and how it felt different this season. But therapists who listen to this show, I'm speaking to you, there's, there's unsurprisingly perhaps many, many therapists that do seem to listen to this show. And a number of you have diagnosed me as suffering from cherophobia. That's the inability to enjoy happiness because of a paralyzing fear. Doom is always around the corner. And I'll just say this game, it proved that my cherophobia is completely rational. The Cossacks are behind every door. Mm-hmm. John Terry is going to get you. Tell us, how did it feel different to last? You were there. Yeah, it was different, Rog. And we'll come back to the jaded and cynical things. Actually, I don't think uh, Chelsea are that jaded and cynical. I think they have been. I don't think they are right now. I think they're just as naive as Everton. Uh, but the atmosphere is very, very different at Stamford Bridge. I think there's almost a... You know, for the last few seasons at Stamford Bridge, it's been fairly devoid of atmosphere. We've talked about a lot, except for sort of midweek European games. And actually, there was a lot more atmosphere in the fans, partly because they are vocally really letting themselves be heard, their displeasure at various plays, the way that Chelsea are playing. And Chelsea are playing. I mean, you have to witness it up close to see how badly this team is playing and how little they are being coached or organised or managed Uh, from the side and all over the park and I mean from Courtois on forward uh, there is a sort of a crisis of confidence in this team it was pretty amazing to go and and watch it but I thought the atmosphere actually was incredibly vocal incredibly loud and two packed houses against West Bromwich Albion and Everton Rog well I just want before we get into the game itself I just wanted to thank at BFK Esquire one of many, many, many GFOPs who tweeted in to say, where's the optional Men in Blazers commentary during this El Blazerico? Uh-huh. Uh, but the wisest response was from Ashley 3-on-3, who said it would be awful. It would just be the two of them saying, not in the face, over and over, one from behind his couch and the other from Chelsea Football Club's hospitality suite. <laughs> well, a lot of it from me was, what are you doing? What are you doing? What, 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 are you, what, are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? That was my entire commentary uh, for the well certainly the half that I saw which was the crap half full disclosure I left at half time at a six o'clock flight I sort of had to leave the ground at 3.45 to get out in fact I probably could have stayed a little bit longer I sort of kicked myself I could have at least seen Everton why go 2-0 up in why person why would you stay because I agree with you David that first half which yeah. is quite awful both teams looked what they are two mid-table teams low on confidence the true highlights that you witnessed yeah were really just a couple of crunching tackles 
Well, there are some crunching tackles, but also what struck me, and I was down at the end, I was at the end that Everton were attacking, so I was watching Chelsea's defence go against Everton, and I was struck by two things at that end, Romelu Lukaku and Kurt Zuma, two phenomenal athletes, Rog, two phenomenal football players. They're just so friendly. They're both so nice. They spent the whole time sort of patting each other on the back, congratulating each other, sympathising with each other, helping each other out. I've never seen two players in a pretty intense derby-like atmosphere just be so nice to each other. It just was remarkable. And number two? Number two, just the fact that Chelsea simply do not press. They just do not press. They do not work. They've stopped spike tracking. We talked about the fact that they were now starting to track back now that Mourinho's gone, they were spike tracking. Chelsea simply do not press. Everton press so brilliantly. They press so effectively. They run and run and run. They've got great speed. They press for the entire game. Chelsea players, devoid of any coaching, they just simply don't work hard enough. I'm not sure if they don't press, but I I just think they overcompensate for their own weakness, which is John Terry's lack of pace at the back, and they just seem to prefer to drop deep. I'm not the only person who, who observes this. John Terry is a master defender in terms of his positioning, and his work rate compared to anybody else on that Chelsea back line. Zuma is amazing in the air, cannot play the ball with his feet. John Terry still is irreplaceable in that team. And an incredible clinical finisher, <laughs> as we <laughs> found out in the second half. Yeah. The John Terry own goal. I think the great footballing philosopher Buddha once said, whatsoever fortune or misfortune experienced is all due to some previous action. Oh, it's wonderful, David. Yeah. There is a God, Mm -hmm. and she's a poet of divine comedy. And yet, hard to make an argument for karma based on what happened at the end of the game. But we're fine. I'll give you your moment of poetry. One of my first jobs when I came to America was I worked in a homeless shelter. Yeah. And the homeless guys all like to watch Die Hard over and over again on a big kind of like Betamax video or Uh whatever. And they only like to watch the first half hour. (laughs) Where the villains would like take over and threaten stable society. Yeah. And then they'd stop watching. Yeah. They'd turn it off. That, they all loved the movie, but just the yeah. first half. Yeah, hour. you can watch the goal at one end and not the goal I at the other. I felt very similar watching this. All I'll say is when I die, Dave, these yeah. are orders to you as my executor of my will. Mm-hmm. I want to be lowered to the ground with a gif of that John Terry own goal. Yeah. Just being beamed on the screen above the coffin. Well, it was extra good, I'm sure, because he managed to both pass it to himself. He passed it from one leg to another leg and then kicked it it's, in as it's well. It's what strikers who were commentators yeah. always say when they... That, he made that look a lot easier than it was. It was an incredible <laughs> finish, I thought. He had an own assist as well as an own goal. And then that we got the pleasure, so the really singular delight of watching John Terry walk away with that pained scowl on his face. A look that says, come and get me, Ray, I'll salt lake. Yeah. And then I can say this once and once only, Davo. It would get worse for Chelsea. Before we get there, though, can I just quickly say that one of the players that the fans are really, really getting on is Thibaut Courtois. When the story of this season at Chelsea is written, I think the most significant event is the selling of Petacek to Arsenal. Not only has it strengthened Arsenal, Courtois does simply not have the confidence to manage a back line. And you see on that goal, he simply there's just a corridor down the centre the whole time that he just will not cover. He will not cross it. He's a great shot stopper. He doesn't have the command of the area. Similar to we saw De Gea earlier in his career, didn't have the command of the area at Man United. Now he's become great. I think you hope that Courtois is going to do the same thing. But the lack of that sort of leader in the back for Chelsea, I think it's really counting. Well, he didn't have a single chance with the Kevin Morales goal. Oh, my God, Sir, what a finish. you made my nipples tingle. When that ball went in, David, yeah. 
my first impulse was just to texture <laughs> LTD. <laughs> Living the dream. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. He sold Obi Mikel with that turn so far. Obi Mikel almost ran into the corner flag. Oh, that turn. That shot. Few footballers can do that. It was the kind of turn John Stones likes to do in his own area. <laughs> this was the Belgians' third start of the season. And mm-hmm. I said, he's a very old player. Because on his day, Dave, mm-hmm. he can be world class. He just doesn't have many days. And I would say for 15 minutes there at the beginning of the second half, Everton were just playing fluid, brilliant, dominant, dominant, dominant football. <sighs> Three points in the bank. Yeah. Cue stock images of a lonely, morose Roman Abramovich sitting mm-hmm. on his own. He always sits on his own. In the director's box. Why I don't, always at bleak times, he just shuffles over and is always pictured sitting there on his own. Mm-hmm. Tim Howard, when called upon, fantastic save. Not yet, Colorado Rapids. Not yet, he seemed to be saying. Slight segue. This was a week Roberto Martinez hinted. Time may be called on Tim Howard's Everton career. Fantastic 350th game, keeping Manchester City uh, at bay. A much-needed clean sheet. And at the beginning, Tim Howard still... Seeming absolutely resilient. But I've got to tell you, Dave, I've got to come clean with you. I think I caused Chelsea's comeback. Really? Yeah. Chelsea. Not me by leaving. No. Not, it's not all about you, mate. Yeah. It's not all about what you. What do you think? It's about me. <laughs> I think it's because Everton stopped pressing Chelsea. No. From 2-0 th- no, up. No. They gave Fabregas so much room. It's not that. 2-0 up. Yeah. I was overwhelmed by fleeting emotion. I think... You human beings call happiness. Mm-hmm. My pyjamas were covered in Guinness. My kids were covered in Guinness. My Guinness was covered in joy. And it was at that very second that I started to think about posing for a victory <laughs> photograph for our Instagram. Oh, you started designing it in yeah. your head. No, what I had it, it designed in like. my head. Oh, it you came had to it. Me. Oh, what I a thought, mistake. I thought I'd shoot the top of my head. My baldness. I'd reveal my baldness in front of my television screen, which would be frozen on the exact freeze frame of the John Terry own goal. <laughs> a cruel gesture, a cruel gesture. Yeah. Like an evil big game hunter posing by Cecil the Lion. Yeah. Oh, so karma came back at you. Yes, no, so oh. it wasn't about you. Yeah. It wasn't about John Terry. It was me, Dave, oh, me. Yeah. Because no sooner did I have this thought, and I even may have let out a little evil laugh, but I'm not sure yeah. if I'm just romanticising yeah. the story after the fact. Chelsea who I had assumed had been strangled and drowned in a bathtub, suddenly leapt out of that bathtub and showed there's still a very live force of evil to be reckoned with. And it was Cesc, Davo. He moved forward, started to run the game from a more advanced position in a way Ross Barkley wishes he could. By the way, Ross Barkley, top percentile for ability, currently lowest percentile for decision-making, but Cess was the game changer. Yeah, and actually on the goal though, Rog, it was a pass from inside his own half, really at the top of his defensive third. A pass that in the first half, Everton did not allow Chelsea to make a single forward pass from that area. They would press the whole time. You go and look at it, Cesc had so much room, all of a sudden, Everton 2-0 up. It's what teams always do. It's why 2-0 is such a dangerous lead. They just sat back and they allowed him to go and just like spray his passes he put that pass over the top to Diego Costa. Kylo Ren. Somehow, Jags gets lost a little bit watching it come over his shoulder. Diego makes up a huge amount of ground, gets in front of him. Tim Howard then comes for it. Let's call him what he is, a slightly berserk Tim Howard. And doesn't going get it. Keeper in the when most I say he way. comes for it, he came for the pocket of air. Diego, great run, great 
won it, wanted it, put it in the back of the net. Oh, that goal, Davo. That was uglier for me to look at than the thought of Rupert Murdoch and Jerry Hall doing it. Yeah. Also, it's one of those goals you just don't often see in the Premier League. It's like primary school football. That was the goal that was basically scored in primary school football all the time. I watched it with you and producer JW yesterday maybe a dozen times, and I still can't work out exactly what Tim Howard does when he (laughs) runs out. He kind of like kicks at Jags, but even misses Jags. Yeah. You've got to shout, you've got to communicate, and if it comes to it, you've got to take everything out when you're the goalkeeper, just hit everything. When I was reading all these tennis allegations this morning in the paper, and I was thinking, you know, we talk about things being a bit match fixy, and I was thinking about things that happened this weekend that felt a bit match fixy. This felt a bit match fixy. Anyway. I'll say it so that you can't. Yeah. It would get worse for Everton. It did get worse for Everton. A team Everton. who break but don't bend. Yeah, Fabregas again in a lot of space on the edge of the area. Has a shot, a massive deflection, Rog. In it goes, 2-2, complexion of the game change. So Everton to score twice in six minutes and then concede the lead in within two. two. It was me, Davo. Yeah. It was me. By the way, can't anybody shut a bloody game down anymore? Mm-hmm. Because there'd be a sting in the tail, mostly because... Both teams at this point were just so woefully broken. On trot, what's the story, Funes Mori? Yeah, we saw the last time these two teams played, it was the substitution, I think, of Besic went off. And uh, on came Naismith, and Naismith killed them from the substitute position. This time, Oviedo goes off, on came Funes Mori. And in the 90th minute, Funes Mori from (sighs) a cross, and once again, an incredibly static Chelsea backline and goalkeeper just like not even talking to each other and uh, knocks it in at the far post. Well, the best thing I can say about Everton this season, Davo, the range of emotions they permit their fans to experience. Mm-hmm. I never know watching them whether I should laugh or cry to hit the bottle to celebrate or to drown my sorrows. I wrote that in my notes mm-hmm. the second Funes Murray scored. It sadly came to have a much darker meaning by the time the final whistle came around. Seven minutes of added time at Ped7. Mm-hmm. Uh, the great Follettonians podcaster tweeted at that second, this is why 35-year-old Evertonians look 60. <laughs> 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 to be candid, I'll be, I'll be absolutely truthful, Dave. The second I saw Funes Mori jump into the crowd and celebrate, yeah. And had his padded helmet ripped off by a delirious fan. Mm-hmm. And the celebrations continued. I knew. I knew. Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. I mean, let's remember, Everton dropped points at the end of the Bournemouth game when they celebrated too long and allowed Bournemouth yeah. to equalise the Stoke game. They managed to let in two incredibly late goals and lose that one. The second he scored, my legs began to numb. And doom seemed almost inevitable, David. Yeah, well, I didn't think there was any way Chelsea could come back into it. And uh, according strictly to the laws of football, they shouldn't have come back into it, Rog. Uh, the whole time, by the way, so I've left the ground, I've raced to the airport, taken the car, got off, Terminal 5, London Heathrow. You know, when I'm checking in, Chelsea score the two goals to get back. I then go uh, through security. I end up at WH Smith. I love a nice visit at the newsagents, WH Smith, buy all those English magazines I can't get over here, Country Life, The Spectator, the British version of the week that's better than the American version of the week. I'm getting all of this stuff in. In the eight minutes I spend in that newsagent, I go from, we lost it, 3-2, Funes Mori, once again, another substitute, we've lost it, you know what, we didn't deserve to win, to, oh my God, Rog is going to have a baby. Uh, after he's seen that John Terry has scored the final goal. Then I realised that everybody's saying it's offside. It's going to be even worse. But yeah, they came back into it. And once again, it's a long ball into the area. It's like a Hail Mary. Dave, 
uh, sends it in. Three defensive headers conceded by Everton. The assistant, if you go back and look at the tape, the assistant is so far behind the play. He's so far. He's just down the wrong line, nowhere near the line to go and uh, and call the offside. John Terry, uh, give him credit. It's an excellent back heel. Not many central defenders can go and do that. Not at the age of 64. And he knocks it in. Goal. Three three. And he ran towards his adoring fans, looking guiltier than Stephen Avery. I, I tweeted out, "Make this a teaching minute." And I believe this sincerely, Davo. Mm-hmm. If you're watching with children, or if you watch this game again with children, make sure they understand completely. Evil always, always wins. You know what I hated about that celebration, Rog? I hated the fact that Chelsea celebrated a very, very fortunate three-three draw at home against Everton, like they just won the Champions League. I thought it was just way way over the top. They salvaged El Blazerico, Davo, which I think in their own way is worth more than the Champions League trophy. They didn't salvage it. I know some people will say that's a, that's a draw that feels like a win, but it wasn't a draw that feels like a win. It was a pathetic draw from both teams. The season-long El Blazerico standing was a win for Everton and a resounding yeah, win, we win for on Everton. Aggregate. Everton are a much better team than Chelsea. I mean, there are, let's face it, there are a lot of questions about Everton's mental toughness and their manager's ability much as we love Roberto but their manager's ability to really lock the door when they need to go and do it but uh Chelsea I'm more alarmed now there are more problems with this team now than I even feared before I went all I can say is that when that ball went in Dave I felt like DJ Khaled lost at sea on his jet ski Hmm. at that Josh Kale tweeted a John Terry offside 98th minute equaliser Premier League script writers you are the biggest trolls in the world and it was well, after the own goal particularly an own goal and then with an own assist as well and then coupled with the 98th minute it was brutal to watch not not because of the last second offside john terry elements of the cruel equalizer mm-hmm. but because everton won the game twice and somehow only drew it and for that they only have themselves to blame mm-hmm. since the 28th of november everton have dropped a league high 11 points when leading in the course of nine games. All I can say to Everton fans, a lot, when Everton do this, I get a lot of tweets from people saying, what have you led me to support and devote my life to? Yeah. And I do feel a lot of obligation and responsibility to newer Everton fans. I just say, this is all good for you in the long run. This season has reinforced my belief, which is now tough metal clad. Being an Everton fan, it hardens you for being screwed over in the real thing in life in general. So it's all great learning experience. You will be like Job having Satan afflict his body with boils and then having to sit in ashes. Green Bay Packers fans, you alone understand how we feel right now. Okay, Roger. Liverpool nil, Manchester United won. The 194th meeting between these two English footballing totems. Despite looking the better side, Jurgen Klopp's men conceded a 78th-minute goal to Wayne Rooney, Rog. Liverpool remain ninth. United move into fifth, just two points off the top four. Two cities, 35 miles apart, that proper hate each other. Liverpool Mm -hmm. and Manchester, real rivals, economically, historically, culturally, musically, and now, probably most relevantly, through football. When I used to get a train from Manchester to Liverpool when I was a kid. I could always tell when I was over halfway home because the graffiti would change around the midpoint from Scousers Die 
to Mank Bastards. This mm-hmm. is a real grudge match. Where is the midpoint, Rog? I don't know what it's called technically. Yeah. But between Manchester and Liverpool, it's like a, there's like a no man's land. In, yeah. in, in Liverpool, they call it woolly bat land. <laughs> the guys have hairy backs. No, it's just like, imagine zombies just <laughs> trolling around. A, and I'm actually making you think of places like Stoke, which is a bit cruel, but yeah. it's nicer than that. But it's like a complete and utter human waste. And this is mm-hmm. a grudge match, Dave. On current form, with both teams struggling for form, it's a Xerox of a Xerox what this game was in the early 2000s. Jonathan Wilson wrote ahead of the game, it's the second most successful team in English history against the most successful, a centuries-old rivalry, the two major cities of England's industrial northwest. But on Sunday, it's ninth against six. And that's what it was. Yeah, certainly both teams cancelling each other out. Liverpool look much livelier than United, but they just couldn't finish. One of the big reasons they couldn't finish, though, Rog, the performances again and again and again of Man United keeper David De Gea. Yeah, I mean, this game was a clash of styles, sterile control of LVG against the erratic potency of Klopp's Liverpool. At Pete Noy tweeted to say, what a contrast of styles. Klopp is like the singer of a garage band. LVG is the senior citizen next door yelling at him to keep the noise down. (laughs) What a brutal month LVG's had, David. This is the month in which this once proud, arrogant man has just succumbed to the grinding English press pack. And they're like a pack of hyenas. They're now delighting as they tear him slowly apart. Yes, certainly, Rog. In his, in his appearances in front of the media, this is a man who looks like he's slowly, actually quite quickly losing it. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's been reduced to states of anxiety. No one will need to beaker in the Muppets. I mean, the, the press conference, we showed it on the Men in Blazers show, if you yeah. haven't seen it, mm-hmm. when he turns round to an English journalist mm-hmm. and says what to him, David? Well, he calls him a fat man. You too, fat man. <laughs> you too, fat man. Has criticised Ain Uni or somebody. He makes Ain Uni, <laughs> makes up his name. After using uh, the, the, the word disorganisticized, which I thought was interesting. <sighs> what a quivering mess of terror he's become. And probably deservedly so. I mean, United's first half in this game was worse than a 1877 Cars for Kids commercial. Oh. No Carrick, Schweinsteiger meant Fellaini, mm-hmm. the gangly elbow flailer who's become a piñata for Manchester United fans on which they take out their woes. What's happened to him? I mean, when he was at Everton, you knew. When he was at Everton, you remember, I love that man. Uh-huh. We, we built a team around him. I mean, he looks to me watching him now as if United t- took an American football player like Gronk and just dropped him onto a Premier League field. I mean, he just seems like a large man running around tactically clueless as to what everybody's doing around him. Yeah, I always thought his best position when he played at Everton was further forward, was sort of like, you know, in what Man United are doing almost in their plan B position with him. But when he's playing that far back and he's trying to patrol midfield and he's trying to carry the ball, he's just not fast enough. (sighs) Liverpool tried to take advantage, coiled to find runners behind or over the top of United's back four when they lacked the true quality to take advantage of the opportunity. I mean, really, this was the game. It felt like a collection of players who used to be good or were never good. And it made you yearn for Liverpool-United clashes when Stevie G, Alonso and Javier Mascherano would do battle with Wayne Rooney back in his bull pomp with Carlos Tevez and Ronaldo alongside him. The only world-class player in this game, David, David De Gea. Oh, my word. Fantastic, fantastic goalkeeping. 
six foot four inches of him. He's gangly. He's all arms and legs, Rog. He's all limbs. And he consistently makes saves that you just cannot believe he just made. You just watch them in slow motion and they look so good. At Magic Moment Pod tweeted us to say the first half is just Gagan depressing. And it's true. United's best performances were in the stands. Phil Jones, yeah. Michael Carrick yeah. and Rojo. All there in the stands. Which to me was a brilliant, bold marketing move by United. I mean, uh-huh. to me, this instantly changed. Yes, but it could have backfired. Oh, it could had have they been not terrible. won, it would have been the worst decision ever. I mean, to be clear, what I think they did, they instantly changed the narrative from the debate surrounding the club about the performances being boring to United being a club where the players are fans, a place of passion. I mean, this could have backfired. It could have done. If Liverpool had scored, Davo, and the cameras then turned on photos of a gurning Phil Jones surrounded by scowling fans or a shell-shocked, grimacing Michael Carrick. It was a PR gamble, ultimately, that paid huge dividends. At Saracast 91 said Jones, Carrick and Rojo are just as effective as anyone we've had on the pitch in this game. But on the field, United's players admitted after they went into the locker room at halftime, Schneiderlin said we screamed and shouted at each other in frustration. To me, Davo, United without David De Gea, they equal Aston Villa. You know... The other thing I was thinking watching this game is, yes, they're playing boring football. And yes, Louis van Gaal has a way about him in press conferences that doesn't really inspire any confidence. And yes, he's taking a lot of criticism. But are these United players really capable of one-on-one doing damage against any Premier League defenders to go make themselves look good? Martial seems to have that one move defenders have figured that out pretty quickly he doesn't beat Memphis came on as a sub he couldn't do anything in this game Juan Mata looks like a shadow of his former self yes he had the moment that created the goal we'll get to but it's a the only player I saw in the United shirt who ever beat a man actually two men on one run was Borthwick Jackson it's just a are these players capable of playing any different football than they're playing See, at Chelsea, we know, as bad as the players are, we've seen them play better football. I'm not sure that this United team has the players to go and do something other than Van Gaal has them doing. All I'd say to that is there was about $145 million worth of Van Gaal acquisitions on that field. Totally get it. There's something terribly wrong systemically, if that statement is true. And I I suspect, and this is the longest death rattle of a management tenure I have seen in the Premier League, I suspect it will not be long before we find out the answer to that question. But in this game, there was damage mitigation by the fact that football briefly broke out, muscle memory kicked Mm -hmm. in. Finally, United got the first great cross of the game in from Juan Mata. Yeah, from a short corner that Liverpool just didn't defend. Juan Mata put a fantastic ball. Fellaini did what he does he routinely. turned into a giant rusty Belgian siege engine. <laughs> yeah, he does that. Very, he plays that role very nicely, Rog. Uh, makes a great offensive header, just climbs over uh, the defenders, puts it against the bar. It bounces out. By the way, not many people could finish that. Rooney, also muscle memory, creative visualisation, puts it into the roof of the net, and as you know, I believe you should get two goals for a roof of the net score. And Wayne Rooney spent fourth has now scored in four straight games for the first time since 2012. Three of those four goals have been winners as yeah. well, Roger. And the run includes a real big boys goal against Newcastle. Mm-hmm. It's one that was actually quite breathtaking. Mm-hmm. It's a throwback moment of nostalgia. Here, though, United had just one shot on goal the whole game. It turned out to be all they needed. They became the seventh team to score from a corner against Liverpool this season. 
If you look at their games against Liverpool, they've actually had four shots on target and scored four times, which is kind of remarkable, as is the fact that this was their first away win since the middle of November. Frustrating, no doubt, for Liverpool to dominate a game in so many areas and leave without a point. They will rue this loss. They had so much of the ball. They lacked a focal point with Sturridge permanently injured. Yeah. The confidence bled out of Benteke. Absolutely and right. And Firmino trying hard, but appearing more like an attacking midfielder yeah. than a reliable line leader. Yeah, they got a lot of those. Let's sum up United, David. Just button the performance. A 1-0 win. Will it hold off the hyenas at the door? Well, because here's the weird thing, though. And here's the beginning of Van Gaal's defence. 22 games, 37 points. Just two points out of the top four. By the way, only seven points off the top of the league. Man United, we might look at this a little bit differently. I still see them as a contender to win the title. They're still a contender. I think you're a madman because the <laughs> only person who agrees with you is, is Louis, Louis van, van Gaal. <laughs> I mean, in this game, very little in the way of attacking intent or cohesion. But Van Gaal's press conference mm-hmm. was about him insisting that the title is still a possibility, all while his kind of management demise continues. And to get a real bead on LVG's sanity, Dave, to yeah. me, he also parried all effort to the English media to have him praise David De Gea. The best he'd say is, he's always reaching a very high level, mm-hmm. but I can't say he's done a lot today. He stopped the balls he had to stop. Yeah, no, he was amazing. Look, it's very difficult. What does he say? He's seven points out. Really, would we believe him? We have absolutely no chance of winning the title. That's the sort of thing when Mourinho used to say people used to like laugh in his face. It's a... They are entitled contention. I would hate to hear my manager seven points back from the top with still 16 games to go saying, oh, no, we've got absolutely no chance. You can't say that. You can You've... say, you know, our goal is top four. Anything above that would be terrific. I don't think United fans want to hear that. Oh, I'd love to hear Louis van Gaal describe Marvel comic heroes. If he says <laughs> David De Gea stops the boards, he had to stop. He'd just be like, Thor, yeah. he uses a hammer to do things that he has to do with mm. a hammer. So Spider-Man, he has webs. <laughs> well, what's, oh, what's the big deal with the webs? Yes, he can fly from building to building to building. Boom, we have helicopters. Batman, he keeps the city safe. And, uh, yeah. That's what he has to do. Fat mm. man. <laughs> fat man. It's the only Marvel comic hero he really yeah, cares about. Exactly. You fat man. You fat man. Mm. He's fat. What else? Mm. <laughs> okay, Rog. Uh, another low-scoring game, but much more interesting to watch. A staring contest between Jack Butland and Petr Cech. Stoke nil, Arsenal nil. Neither keeper blinked, Rog. It was amazing to watch this. Both made some phenomenal saves at a snowy Britannia Stadium Sunday. The point leaves Stoke in seventh place. Six points off the top four. It's good enough to keep Arsenal at the Premier League's apex for another week. Yeah, at so much squee tweeted to say Stoke away, where Arsenal have won just once in seven Premier League games. No Ozil, Sanchez, Casola, Coquelin. What could go wrong? Ultimately, not a lot. I mean, Wenger moved Oxlade-Chamberlain into the number 10 role, Mm -hmm. which kind of only seemed to underline just how much the Ox's potential seems to have dissipated this season. Looked very much like the kind of player who Sunderland will come in for within about the next two seasons. Stoke like their two flair players, yeah. Shakiri, and of course the Balletic Bruin of one Jeff Cameron. Mm. So the game was a bit of a damp square. But I was reading this week that scientists in the California Institute of Technology mm-hmm. have worked out that it is possible that there's a mirror universe where time moves backwards. Wow. When I was watching this game, 
I felt like it was definitive proof of their claim, David. Uh, but the performance of the goalkeepers, it was so amazing to watch. Jack Butland, um, England, pff, Joe Hart getting a real run for his money uh, with the form of Jack Butland. 22 years old. Fantastic save. Does offer England an alternative to crazy Joe Hart. Yeah. A sane alternative. Mm-hmm. But Peter Cech continues his one-man crusade to be the first goalkeeping player of the year since Everton's great Neville Southall in 1985 you described this game as the equivalent of a pitcher's duel rog watching two great pitchers pitch no hitters or uh, at each other it was similar to that just at each end just the goalkeepers were blowing you away i loved watching it and at the end of the game the television broadcasters took the unorthodox step of interviewing both goalkeepers side by side huh. I and mean, it was fantastic to watch them they sweating there in the post-game studio, like two dueling tenors having come off stage. The only other big talking point of the game came from the stands. Before the game, Arsene Wenger admitted that Stoke City fans hurl, quote, more personal hatred at me than anyone else in the league, which shockingly means even uh, outstripping that vitriol poured upon him by Spurs fans. Yeah, you got, It's got to be noted here they stooped to a new low, calling back to the 2010 incident in which Ryan Shawcross shattered... Aaron Ramsey's leg with a horror tackle. This weekend, they spent the game chanting, Aaron Ramsey, he walks with a limp. Aaron Ramsey, he walks with a limp. Football humour gone a little off the rails, David. Yeah, and that's not even including the vile stuff that they're chanting at Arsene Wenger through the game. Look, this goes back to that incident, to that tackle, and I think also back to the fact that Arsene would talk about it in every single press conference after that for quite a while, every time he played Stoke. But these two uh, sets of fans certainly don't like each other. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they claim their anger is connected to the fact Ramsey wouldn't accept Shawcross's apology. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a thin argument about an incident which kept the young star out of the Arsenal team for over a year. And these kind of chants were very common back in the 80s, the dark days of English football, when economically crippled Stoke would play big London power teams like Arsenal. That kind of chant would come from a resentment between haves and have-nots. But times have changed. Stoke have changed. It's impossible not to admire what they built under Mark Hughes. I mean, the club itself are an amazing beacon in their community. They've got joyous things to chant about now. Charlie Adam, for God's sake. But this kind of cruel, sick behaviour has got no place in the modern game. Absolutely, Rog. Arsenal, I mean, everybody's presumed champions. Two points from their last two games, obviously the draw against Liverpool midweek, and then this draw at Stoke. I actually think in the grand scheme of things, these will be seen as being very good results. Uh, Aston Villa won, Leicester City won. In a season that makes no sense, it makes perfect sense that a traditionally stable team at the very bottom of the table gets a point off a plucky upstart challenging for the title. The Foxes are left to rue Mark Bunn's save on a Riyad Mahrez penalty that would have put them 2-0 up in the 33rd minute. Villa equalised just 15 minutes from time through Rudy Gasted. Leicester still in second place, level on points with Arsenal behind on goal difference. I mean, Leicester arrived off their brutal run of games, which was meant to be a wake-up call, a moment of truth for them. Mm-hmm. But the gauntlet of Manchester United, Swansea, Chelsea, Everton, Liverpool, Man City, Bournemouth and Spurs has been successfully navigated. Mm-hmm. They won four, drew three, lost just once at Liverpool, despite Jamie Vardy netting only twice in eight games. They really are, Dave, more than ever. The East Dillon Lions. Mm-hmm. Lions the run with Panthers. I've really enjoyed the social media relationship between Leicester City and the Carolina Panthers over social media. And like the Panthers, Davo, Leicester City, they just keep pounding and they become a very hard team to beat. They could so easily have won this game 
though, Rog. Fantastic first goal. Rog, Jamie Vardy with an audacious flick uh, over the top. Goalkeeper saves it, but at the far post, Okazaki uh, knocks it in. Uh, we go to goal review, Rog, uh, but it ends up being given. He's the happiest man in the Premier League, Okazaki. Mm-hmm. And then a penalty to double the lead. Mares hits it right into the keeper. Mark Bunn. Yeah, I mean, Ranieri said after the game that the Algerian is still adjusting to being the man. Mm. He said Riyad is our main player. He must continue to play in his way. But all the big players receive this kind of pressure. For him, it is a new challenge. Some erratic refereeing led to that handball decision. God, Roger East is a a fairly dreadful referee. He's the guy that ignored the blatant John Stones penalty at the death in the Manchester City uh, Everton Ty, you are a shame on all balls, Roger East. Mm, and Rogers. Yeah, and well, he's one of the best Rogers. <laughs> and then Gested, another yeah. dodgy definition of the handball yeah, uh, rule in the run up. Yeah, seemed to be a handball uh, on the uh, on the build up of that play, but a wonderful strike from the Benin International, and uh, it goes one one. Jamie Vardy did have a chance at the death to win the game, but chances he took with clinical precision earlier in the season are just not dropping for him. Frustrating result maybe for Leicester, but on the bright side. They've allowed only two goals in their last five league games since 25th of December. A complete turnaround of their earlier season buccaneering form when they leak plenty but outscore all comers. They're now seven points ahead of fifth place. There's got to be a point, Davo, where even the darkest naysayers are forced to agree. Leicester City's top four challenge is very, very very real. And yet, what would we be saying if they'd actually won this game, Rod? They'd be on top of the league uh, by two points. We would honestly be talking far more seriously about them winning the title. A huge uh, point for Villa. Their great escape continues. Mm. I predict exclusively, Davo, this time next season, they'll be top of the table like Leicester City. Yeah, that table being the championship. OK, Rod, Man City 4, Crystal Palace nil. City make up ground on Arsenal and Leicester, thumping Alan Pardew's men in an imperious Etihad performance. A Sergio Aguero brace and goals from Fabian Delft. What a strike. And David Silva moves City within one point of the leaders. No, yeah, yeah, Torre. Mm. In the starting lineup, Fabian Delft taking his place for just his third start for City. And he just ran and ran and ran in an old school box to box fashion, impacting the game on both ends of the field. For $11.5 million, he could be City's buy. Of the season. A, a Yaya Toure quarterback controversy will now ensue. One that Delft rationally should edge by virtue of both football optics and actually giving a crap. Hmm. But Palace started this game all bright-eyed, bushy-tailed and bad at heading. Delaney nodding the ball right at heart when either side of him it would have gone in and been a dream start for a team who have now not scored in five straight games. But it was Delph that opened the scoring in the end from Steph Curry range. Yeah, he has amazing movement, Delph. Always keeps the ball circulating in the middle of the park. I like the way he plays. Uh, but this was just seeing him really more than circulating. This was him finishing. Rod cuts inside onto his left foot and pa-cow! Knocks it straight yeah. into the back You almost of the heard Wayne Hennessy shout, Don't worry, lads, he's not going to shoot from there. Yeah. And then Aguero went all Clay Thompson. Yeah. Another long-range goal which can only suggest that Crystal Palace may want to bring back their cult hero fan favourite, number one, Julian Spironi, mm-hmm. for the next game. Aguero got a second. He could have had a third, mm. but chose to set up David Silva, recognising that getting the Spaniard back to full operational capacity is more important in the medium term to Manchester City than a Kuhn Aguero hat-trick. Palace, five in a row, no goals, three defeats on the run. 
expect some of the American money provided by 76ers owners Blitzer and Harris to harvest a new striker. Yeah, I think we'll see them being quite active in the transfer window. Rog, just a quick note on Sergio Aguero. He moves into seventh in the top scorers in the Premier League with 10 goals. Just a few weeks ago, I think we were talking about the fact what's happened to Sergio Aguero. He could still end the season as the leading scorer in the Premier League, Rog. Another notable performance in this weekend. Tottenham 4, Sunderland 1. Spurs surge back from 1-0 down. <laughs> That's not Spursy. And Paul 4 past Big Sam's side. A Christian Eriksen brace. His first goals from open play in almost a year. A Moussa Dembele strike and a Harry Kane penalty. See Spurs stay in fourth and climb within five points of Arsenal. Yep. Wow. Spurs came wow. off a midweek performance in which they were dominant but didn't take a point in their loss against Leicester City. And that game looked like it might spill over and become a trend against Sam Allardyce's strugglers because Spurs had spent 40 minutes pummeling Sunderland like George Foreman working a heavy bag. I do feel Spurs over-defer to Harry Kane. Mm. The game plan just seems to dump it to him and let him work the shot anywhere in the area. Yeah. It's like watching the Orlando Magic dump the ball into Shaq at every opportunity. Yeah, that was effective, though. <laughs> that we're under Dwight, with Dwight Howard, it was less. Actually, maybe the Dwight Howard is a better analogy. Oh, an interesting stat about Kane. He scored 12 Premier League goals this season, but those 12 goals have only earned Spurs one point. Master of garbage time? Not quite. Mm, but almost. The first half, Dave, it was like watching one poor cross after another. And then on the first chance of a Sunderland break, Van Arnold sprang forward and just buried the ball. But this is not your grandfather's Spurs. It's not even the Spurs you remember from last season. Or earlier in this season. Because <laughs> <laughs> before you could spit out the words, that's so Spursy, resolute this season Spurs emerged, sped up the field, and within 21 seconds equalised. Yeah. Ericsson spinning the ball home. Off Lee Catamol. Yeah. who attempted to clear the ball with all the aplomb of a Liverpool goalkeeper. And good to see Eriksen uh, back in the goal-scoring column. Such a good player. Such a good player, Rog. Fantastic to see Spurs show resilience, confidence and experience to then go ahead. Dembele rolling the ball into the corner. And once Sunderland shifted to a back three, it just became floodgate. Debutant German defender Jan Kirchhoff was the oh. game-changer in a hot-mess kind of way lackadaisically trying to block Ericsson's goal-bound shot and deflecting it into the net and sloppily <laughs> giving away a penalty, i.e. playing as one would expect any sane human to do after moving from the elite levels of Bayern Munich to Sunderland. And having to wear that lime green shirt, Rod. Oh, for much of the second half, Big Sam had a face on him like a man who knew that his pie on the bus home mm -hmm. would taste of cigarette butts and skunk beer. Their clash against Bournemouth next weekend one for rubberneckers and relegation zone dogfight aficionados. This is an amazing story, Rog, and something we haven't really spoken about yet. New, an amazing result as well. Newcastle 2, West Ham 1. Mired in the relegation zone, Steve McLaren's side take three points off top four contenders West Ham. Iosi Perez and Jorginho Wijnaldum goals combined with an impressive debut from the former Swansea man, John Joe Shelby. Poor. Leave Tyneside safe from the true Geordie's wrath for now. Rog. John Joe Shelby's second last chance. Mm. It's hard to remember, David. He's just 23 years old. Yeah. He's been around the block so many times and yeah. he excelled here. Yeah. Oh, my God. Played fantastic. Had a hand in the first goal, Rog. But, but the second. Oh, the second. That crossfield pass to Janmat, Rog, was something else. Oh, Janmat then put it into Wijnaldum. It's like a bomb from Carson Palmer to Larry Fitzgerald. Janmat was hit. In stride, excellent touch by Yamat yep. to control it, but a massive win for Newcastle. 
especially because much maligned team owner Mike Ashley decided to give every supporter a free coat if the team won. An odd decision. As many of you pointed out, only strippers disdain coats more than Newcastle fans. <laughs> That's very funny. Roger, yeah, they move up to 21 points. Only nine points separating them and the top half of the table. It's just amazing how many teams are potentially involved in that relegation fight if the teams below them keep winning. And one of those teams, Rog, Swansea, they beat Watford 1-0. The Swans stop the bleeding, defeating Chike Flores' men, courtesy of an Ashley Williams first-half header. It's Swansea's third win in their last 18 games. And a fourth straight league defeat for a suddenly slumping Watford. The game played before Swansea's new manager, former Udinese leader Francesco Guidolin, mm-hmm. who was named as a new head coach before the game. In the latest twist at the Welsh club, he's an Italian tactician who's made a career out of overachieving with teams of limited means. And he sat in the director's box to watch Alan Curtis take charge of his last game at the helm. Is the change going to work? I mean, if you look at mid-season saviours who kind of paratroop in to the relegation zone bog teams, Mm -hmm. you think Tony Poulis, you think Mark Hughes, Mm -hmm. you even think Roy Hodgson. Yeah. But all of them had prior Premier League experience. The only person who has rescued a club from the relegation zone in season Uh is Dick Advocat at Sunderland as an English Premier League virgin. We will watch this with wonder. I'll just say, Swansea, all of this herky-jerky activity this season, this is a team who before this season, they were hailed as the definitive, well-run, best-practice business model Mm -hmm. for all small clubs. I went to Southampton, Bournemouth, Crystal Palace in the last 12 months. All of them, when I asked them who they'd like to emulate, they all said, without thinking, Swansea, from a business sense. It seems like only yesterday we were hailing Gary Monk as England's next manager, mm-hmm. waxing poetically about their innovative use of sleep pods to maximise John Joe Shelby's potential. <laughs> I mean, the sudden decay, the sense of doom that has enveloped that place, it's a story that no one is talking about, that everyone should be talking about. That is how crazy this season has been. More teams involved in the relegation fight, Rog. Bournemouth, three. Norwich, nil. The Cherries thumped the Canaries behind goals from Dan Gosling, Charlie Daniels, and the club's $16 million record signing from Wolves, Benek Afobi. The win moves Eddie Howe's team into 15th place, one spot above Norwich in the table. They're three points off the relegation zone. Yeah, Afobi not alone in the incoming column at Bournemouth. Juan Iturbi and the returning Lewis Graban one of three new signings. They spent over $28 million huh. in the past uh, 10 days. I mean, Juan Eterbi, proof, thanks to TV money, that all of the Premier League clubs can now compete with any club in the major leagues of Europe, apart from the mega clubs, Barcelona, Bayern, and PSG. And talking of elite players, Stephen Naismith <laughs> is now Courage, Rog. Courage. a City player after his $12 million move What's he from Everton. What's like in the yellow and green, Rog? At I'm Ever- so worried about that. At Evan Baden tweeted us to say, my biggest concern about Naismith to Norwich is the green and yellow, oh, counteracting true. his translucent camouflage oh. qualities. All I'll say is, I love that man and I wish him Godspeed. Norwich fans, you have a wonderful human being in your loving bosom. Wonderful. Amazing that he left Everton, Rog. Amazing that he left Everton. Less so amazing, just more the incredible decline, the hat-trick. Yeah, one against poor, Chelsea. One poor game in the wake and then barely seen again. Wow. He deserves to be loved. 
OK, Rog, finally, Southampton 3, West Brom 0. A James Ward-Prowse brace and a Dusan Tadic goal moves Southampton into the top half of the table. Tony Pulis's men, meanwhile, stay 13th. West Brom are a truly awful team. So they really are an awful football team. I don't know how even Chelsea failed to beat them. Uh, the 2-2 result midweek and Chelsea, they're really... Southampton's resurrection continues and bolstered by the arrival of $5.6 million Charlie Austin, mm. who came with good intent and very little in the way of knee ligament. <laughs> yeah, very true, Rog. Uh, OK, Jordan Morris, Rog, German club, Werder Bremen, today announced Jordan Morris has turned down an offer to join the team, opting to return to America instead. The 21-year-old was training with Bremen during the Bundesliga's winter break. Yep, Jordan Morris has trolled the Bundesliga, David. Wow. He'll look for sure he was headed there. Mm -hmm. Werder Bremen CEO two days ago said a deal to join the Bundesliga club was close. He told the German press the American reminds him of a hockey player. He says ah. he does a few things you rarely see. He has his sight set on the goal all the time. He doesn't think about it too much. He just charges forward like a hockey player. Only to announce a day later, talks have failed and the player's future quote is in America. The huh. whole incident has just completely reinflamed the fault line between Jurgen Klinsmann um, and MLS owners. Portland Timbers owner Merrick Paulson went on to the Soccer Made in Portland podcast and said... I don't think you're going to find a single MLS owner who's going to be an advocate for Jurgen Klinsmann. This is a guy who's got a clear agenda that's an anti-MLS agenda, which folded into a reheat about whether Jurgen Klinsmann has any responsibility to grow the MLS and whether American players would get better if they played over in Europe than over here. Yeah, it's complicated. It, <laughs> is. it is a complicated relationship. It's a complicated argument. Uh, Jürgen Klinsmann is paid to win, and the only way he really knows how to win seems to be uh, with European-based players and favouring them over MLS players. You know what? If US soccer doesn't like it, they should fire him. The simple answers to those questions are Jürgen doesn't care about MLS, and he is right. The best soccer is played abroad, and you become better soccer players by playing with the best against the best. But there's also an anti-American bias in elite football that yeah. US footballers have to battle and America is the greatest country in the world to live in. And those two factors make staying in America to play football incredibly attractive. What is Jordan Morris going to do? Mm. Part of me hopes he does something completely unorthodox, like announces he's going to become a soul cycle instructor. <laughs> but It'd be good. I can't wait. It'd be fantastic, mate. Yeah. Think about it, Jordan. Mm. But I can't wait to watch Stanford Messi play for the Sounders. He is young. Europe can wait. Uh, Real and Atletico Madrid, Rog. FIFA has hit both of the teams with transfer bans, accusing the clubs of violating rules concerning the transfer of international players under 18. Anytime FIFA hits anybody with any kind of uh, sanction, Rog, it seems to be a little unjust. Pending appeals, the clubs cannot sign anyone next summer or next winter. However, they can still make moves during this current window. And they believe that those appeals will be successful, meaning mm. they will probably be able to drop a huge amount of cash over the summer too. What it does is spread a huge amount of uncertainty, mostly to Manchester United and Chelsea in terms of David De Gea uh, and Eden Hazard and also the Gareth Bale rumours, the Cristiano Ronaldo rumours. 
Uh, maybe Eden Hazard will have to start apartment shopping in Paris rather mm. than Madrid, David. We will see, Rog. The US women's national team is back in action this Saturday against Ireland in San Diego, also on the horizon for Jill Ellis's side. The She oh, Believes Cup. I love this. A tournament featuring England, France and Germany. It will be played March 3rd to the 9th in Nashville, Tampa and Boca Raton, Florida. I'm going to take my daughter, David. So it'll be amazing. I cannot wait. I just say... I think there's been a mild backlash a against backsplash. the victory tour. A yeah. backsplash even <laughs> yeah. against the victory tour, possibly even from some of the players yeah. that they were being trotted round on the victory tour yeah. in the kind of a Harlem Globe Trotter-esque way that was not advancing the cause of women's it football. It wasn't about competitive football. Uh, Bringing Ross. over the best teams to play the best is the best way to grow that game of women's football, and I can't wait. Amazing that England are included within those best teams in women's football, Roger. Come on the Lionesses. Okay, our first Raven is from Jesse DeKalb, 10-year Spurs supporter and GFOP here. I'm the new guy at a financial firm, and as such, I was tasked with resetting our company's computer passwords. (laughs) Obviously, all of our passwords are now combinations of Harry Kane, Deli Ali, and Eric Lamella, amongst (laughs) others. For weeks now, my co-workers have been asking, is Harry Kane Patrick's brother? Does Deli Ali have good pastrami? And what late 90s band was Eric Lamella in again? <laughs> I finally came clean and revealed the inspiration for our new security codes. And on Wednesday, to celebrate, we put Spurs on in the background on the big screens when they played against Leicester. Though they lost, everyone in my office now supports Spurs. Shouldn't Premier League teams just place a mole in every corporation in America and have the mole reset the passwords to various Premier League stars? I truly believe that it is the best suboptimal way to force the beautiful game on Americans through passwords i'm not sure that you should have told us <laughs> did you learn nothing from jennifer lawrence's password propelled injustice uh-huh having said that my password always used to be david moy's blue army <laughs> so i think you might be onto something yeah my password is some combination of tweed uh the winner of the coveted guinness men in blazers poet philosopher sucker scribe raven of the week is jason allison this past week my wife put on a DVR'd episode of Real Housewives of I'm not sure which locality was featured. (laughs) Okay, Jason, I'm sure you had no idea. The recording caught the very end of the Andy Cohen show, Watch What Happens Live, which I noticed appears to be produced, well, it actually is, by Embassy Row Studios. It dawned on me that this likely means Andy Cohen is filmed in the crap part of Soho. I grabbed the remote from my wife and rewound to the Embassy Row logo and said, hey, that's the company that produces Men in Blazers, rather (laughs) enthusiastically. For the next five seconds, our world's orbits crossed. We stared into one another's eyes, aware for perhaps the first time of how similar we truly are. (laughs) How my love of sport and English commentary on life can indeed find common ground with the likes of Bethany Frankel and Nene Leakes. The walls between sport and popular culture were broken down, and in my wife's face, I glimpsed understanding. Understanding of why I wake up early on weekends and sit in front of a TV watching teams whose stadiums I've never sat in, supporting a team, Arsenal, and a league (laughs) half a world away in return. I gave her hope that while our tastes may be different, we can always find something in each other's interests and that knowing will strengthen our love. After a few moments, my wife sat up and said, wait, who? I reminded her of the five hours we spent listening (laughs) to numerous episodes of the Men in Blazers pod when we recently drove back from Florida to New York after Christmas. That podcast, the British guys who talk about soccer. She blinked a few times, turned back to the TV and ended our moment with the solid hammer of reality. Oh, yeah, I didn't pay much attention to any of that. She pressed play and shushed me. While it was all too brief, I'll always smile, thinking back to that one brief shining moment when there was Camelot in our relationship. (laughs) 
It's not the first we've heard of these worlds coming together. We had a uh, couple who attended BlazerCon who basically, he, the guy convinced his wife to allow him to come to BlazerCon only if I guaranteed that I would get them uh, VIP seats for Watch What Happens Live. Fortunately, he came to the BlazerCon brunch and reminded me of that, and I got them in to go and see the show that night. Oh, this letter breaks my heart. Partially because Dave and I invented skinny girl margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of people know Didn't that. get the money. Yeah, but I've always maintained, Dave, our relationship is like Andy Cohen's and Anderson Cooper's. Yeah. With a little less hair. <laughs> Quite a lot. Uh, less hair. Although they are not grey deniers, which I appreciate about both those men. You can tell your wife yeah. that Andy Cohen is not interested in football at all, apart mm. from Cristiano Ronaldo and Stan Kroenke. Well, now he is. That's, he's on his crap list. He loves Olivier Giroud. He, he also likes Olivier Giroud. Yeah, it's one of his favourite players. Uh, during the World Cup, he did a feature, which was his footballer of the day every single day during the World Cup. And uh, Giroud, I think, was the uh, was, was both his and the audience's favourite. OK, your weekend looks like this, courtesy of Mini USA. <laughs> Palace versus Spurs, 10am Saturday. West Ham versus Man City, 12.30pm Saturday. Arsenal versus Chelsea. Oh, we're going to get dragged back into the relegation fight, Rog, 11am Sunday. All of those games are on NBC's family of networks. There are many ways to connect to us. One is through our Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you go on Amazon, Friday's big or small, just click off the Emporium page. Men in Blazers gets a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the cost of creating this podcast. What are you putting in the Emporium this week, Rog? A book! Mm. Fortune Smiles by Adam Johnson. The West Coast Pulitzer Prize winning author of no, the Orphan not the Sunderland Master Winger. Sir. I was worried about it. Not the sex charge facing Sunderland Winger, though. Mm. No. I'm not a big short story fan. Oh, I love a short story. Oh, I hate him. But this book, packed full of darkness, it was just worth buying solely for one essay. George Orwell was a friend of mine, mm-hmm. in which the narrator is the one-time warden of an East German Stasi prison, attempting to repress the crimes he perpetrated in a way that is both comedic, human, and beautifully, beautifully German in the darkest sense. Mm, great. Okay, Rog, producer Lexi and I have been spending a great deal of time talking about electric kettles. When I first came to the United States, nobody had plug-in electric kettles. Everybody, everybody had the stovetop kettles, which just get way too hot. They make loud noises. It's too long. Oh, just not a satisfying way to make your hot water for your instant coffee or for your cup of tea. <sighs> And I really recommend electric kettle. It just changes your life having an electric kettle. Hot water just within a couple of minutes on demand. But recently, I discovered so much mold inside my regular electric kettle. Yeah. It just made me worry about what's lurking inside your kettle, which you constantly use. You don't always replace the water. You don't always use filtered water. You don't always use the right water. So I heartily this recommend... This for you, listeners in Flint, Michigan. Yeah, and all over the United States. God, you poor Flint people. I feel for you. Even Breville, people in St. Louis feel for you. Breville, USA. They make the crystal clear electric kettle, Rog. It's a bargain at only $99.95. It's just like, look at that. It's like a regular kettle, but it's see-through, like sort of a Pyrex Test jug. Rog, exactly. Uh, superb. You can watch your kettle boil. It reminds you to constantly put clean water. Make sure that you wash it correctly. I've recommended it uh, to Lexi. The Breville USA Crystal Clear Electric Kettle. Two different approaches to life, David. Yeah, I want to know what's in there. We both know there's mold in kettles. Yeah. You would prefer to get a translucent one so you can see the mold and check on it. I, I would prefer, prefer to not drink I prefer, mold. I prefer one I cannot see into so I don't know the mold's there. I can go about my life. How about when your children start drinking tea? Yeah. 
Are you pro-mould? Well, you know what is interesting about yeah. kettles? Mm. Is there were so few, I agree with your point, when I first came, there were so few kettles. I remember New Year's Eve 1994, mm. just feeling sad as the little party poppers were going off because I realised it was the first year of my life yeah. that I'd drunk more coffee than tea. Oh, was that before you met Mrs. B? Yeah, I felt a very <laughs> core part of my life was changing. <laughs> oh, right. I knew my world would never be the same again. What was the word that people say? Your fear of doom or... Cherophobia. Yeah, you have it. There's no cure. Bad case. Apparently, there's no cure for it. Yeah, you wouldn't want a cure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you wouldn't want a cure. You wouldn't want a cure. Okay, you can now watch entire episodes of our crap TV show on NBC, Sports Live Extra, Apple TV and Roku. It's also up on our website, meninblazers.com. We are sorry about it. Also, meninblazers.com, a place to sign up for our newsletter, The Raven. We produce that with our partner, Guinness. Uh, we've got a Spotify account, men underscore in underscore blazers. Also, a Wikispaces, meninblazers.wikispaces.com. Oh, it's a wonder. That's an amazing, amazing site, Rog. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Rog Bennett. You've been at using MC that a lot recently. At Men in, oh, I know. Both of us have been using it a lot recently. At Men in Blazers. Uh, on Instagram, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davies. We've got a Facebook also. We've got a subreddit, meninblazers.reddit.com, oh. maintained by GFOB's Akshay, Calvin, and Alex. Uh, you can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. Please you can always send them. email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk Rog. Warpig. Who wants to sex with Dumbo? Explosion. Courage. Take that, Gloria. Is that your analysis? To tweed. Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fight in America. We won our blaze, Erica. I yes, love you still, though, you did. David. 3 3. You won it.